This evening, we're going to start kind of a uh, little mini study and through a topic. And so um, we're going to have a lot of verses to give you guys. So I'm not going to turn to a specific verse. But before we get to that, um, I do want to open it up for any prayer requests or praises. And so if you guys have a prayer request or a praise you'd like to share, we'll go ahead and give you the opportunity to do that. So does anyone have a prayer request or a praise they want to share? I'm sorry? You're alive? Okay. Yeah, just under the weather for a while there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. Uh, pray for uh, Josiah. I got a weird thing this morning. Just woke up not feeling well. And so um, he was supposed to have baseball practice tonight, but he actually is home not feeling well. So be praying for him if you would. I appreciate that. It's kind of out of nowhere after he was, he was sick for a while there, but he's been better this week. So I don't know. It's kind of weird. Julie? You know, I, I didn't see her. Okay. 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 Yeah, Sandra and I were just talking about that because I noticed we weren't, she wasn't here last Sunday, and I don't think she was here this morning that I saw. So be praying for. Oh, okay. 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 Be praying for Miss Betty. Pray for healing there and comfort and everything for sure. Anyone else? A prayer request or a praise? Pray for uh, Evan. I know he's home not feeling good. Evan Corbett not feeling well tonight. Wasn't able to be here this morning, actually. Yes. Yeah, that was so awesome. Yeah, really, really cool to see all the kids up there and everything. And uh, just to see their hard work and dedication. Um, just to see the Lord encourage them and be an encouragement to them. So really, really cool. Um, and so excited to be able to re- re- rejoice with them and celebrate with them. It was really, really cool. Uh, and I love what, one of the things that Sandra said that was really cool praise is that um, of the 41 kids who were registered this year for Word of Life, 17 of them, this is their first year in Word of Life. Um, and so we do have some, and we didn't really get into that this morning. Um, some of our Wednesday night kids, I don't know how many, maybe six or eight, something like that. Um, they actually attend our uh, Wednesday night program, but they are actually, uh, they attend a different church on Sunday mornings. They have a home church that they're part of. That church just doesn't have a children's ministry on Wednesday nights. So, ooh, threw, me, threw me off a little bit. I was like, what's going on? I thought he was going for a tissue and he was on the stage. Um, so uh, so the, a lot of those guys were in their own home churches this morning uh, doing, you know, worshiping there. So, But really, really cool that not only are we able to be a blessing to the people in our church, but even to provide something for even other Christians in the community to be able to be a part of that. So huge praise there. Anyone else? A prayer request or a praise? Yes. Yep. So I had a few people that were getting information this morning, uh, praying about maybe possibly next week, wanting to know, is this table going to be up next week? Um, And so definitely some interest there. Uh, We did have one child sponsor today uh, from the table. Um, I know there's someone else that is looking at sponsoring online. This morning they wanted to know about a specific nation that they were interested in. Um, And so they're going to go look kind of online, see how the Lord leads. Um, And if that doesn't work out, then they're going to probably come with what's on the table. But so a huge phrase. they may have not grabbed one of the children off the table, but again, uh, someone from that or from our church is going to be looking to sponsor someone from a certain nation. So we praise the Lord for that. So, uh, but keep praying for that. We've got 14 kids left. Um, I would really love to see all of those kids get sponsored uh, within the next week or so. Um, next week, the table will be up, um, and then I think 
I got to look again at the dates and stuff. We can only put them out for so long um, before we have to just pull them and kind of get, they get recycled back through. Um, And so uh, next week the table will be up for sure. And then after that, uh, if we do have any left, it'll be one of those like come see me until a certain point kind of things. So, but let's be praying that all 14 will get sponsored next or by next week. That's what we're praying for. Anyone else? A prayer request or a praise? All right. Obviously, we're praying for uh, this next weekend, Mother's Day. Everyone's doing stuff with family. That's always a, a big Sunday for sure. And then don't forget, upcoming here in two, two weeks, or the week after that, I think is the ladies' event. So we'll be praying for that to go well. And also, if you haven't signed up for that yet, you definitely want to do that. Um, also, we have Baptism Sunday coming up. We had two uh, kids um, approach me this morning and said they are interested in being baptized. So we are up to, I believe, five that are getting baptized on the 15th, if everything goes according to plan. So we'll be praying for, for that. So it's really cool to see those five individuals potentially following the Lord and believers' baptism. So any other uh, prayer requests or praises? Prayer request or praise. Yeah, Kat. Okay, going in for an MRI this coming Friday. All right, be praying for that. Absolutely. For Kat. Okay, so pray that all the nerves are calmed and the Lord gives peace and they're able to do the MRI and get things squared away for sure. Uh, anyone else? Prayer request or praise before we open in prayer tonight. All right, well, let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get into our lesson for tonight. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this evening and we praise you, Father, for your goodness and your grace. Lord, we ask that as we gather to worship you tonight, Lord, that you would just be glorified and that everything that we say and do would put you at the center and draw us into a closer relationship with you. Father, we thank you for this morning. What a praise it was to be able to rejoice and to celebrate with all those kids from the Word of Life program, to be able to just honor them and all their hard work. Lord, whatever level and whatever stage they reached in this last school year, Lord, some of them only really being in Word of Life for a couple of months Uh, new to the program, some being in for the whole year. Uh, But Father, thank you for every single one of them, for their their growth in you, Lord, that may or may not have been reflected in a award per se, but just in their uh, growth in you individually as you continue to instruct and guide them. Father, we thank you for all of our Word of Life leaders this last school year, their investment in this generation, uh, I truly believe, will bring eternal fruit. So we thank you for that. Father, we do pray that you would be with um, all of these requests that have been laid before you. We think about those in our church family that aren't feeling well. We pray for Miss Betty, Lord, uh, just bring healing there, comfort. Be with her with this respiratory thing, Lord. What an amazing um, just example she is to so many in our church. Uh, Lord, her story, her testimony truly is is one that is just an amazing example of you working through someone who is surrendered. Uh, Father, not just with her own personal Christian walk, but all the many decades that she surrendered to you to teach kids, to work with kids, Lord, as she's invested in so many, uh, Lord, for so long. Uh, Father, just to go through what she went through, surviving cancer, the loss of her husband so many years ago, Lord, that she's still so faithful to you is a great encouragement to so many again, Lord. So I just pray that you would bring healing and comfort to her. And Father, we think about those in our church family that are uh, under the weather today. We think of Evan Corbett, Lord, be with him and with Josiah. Uh, Comfort them, Lord, and just bring healing. Father, we pray for Kat and this MRI coming up here. Lord, we pray that you just calm her nerves, uh, help things to go well there, that you would just uh, 
minister and move through that situation. Lord, give the doctors wisdom and they continue to help her. Father, we just uh, pray that you would be with, again, just those in our church family that are traveling, doing different things through this next weekend with Mother's Day. Uh, just watch over them, Lord. Give them a great time with family and just allow them to, to honor their moms. And Lord, for those that have moms that have passed on, Lord, we just pray that the memory would be an encouragement and as they continue to just reflect over that time. And Father, again, we thank you for just tonight. We thank you for your grace, your love in our lives, Lord. And we thank you for those that have been under the weather that were sick, Lord, but you've brought healing into their lives. And we praise you for that. And we rejoice with you. Father, again, we thank you for all of this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So tonight, we are starting, as I said, a little mini series on Sunday nights, um, kind of looking at who is our God. And so last week on Sunday night, we went through a study on the doctrine of providence. So we talked about providence as far as the hand of God moving in different ways. And we talked about what is providence, how does providence compare to the sovereignty of God, and, and how can we take great comfort in learning the providence of God. And our encouragement last week was, no matter what we see in the world around us, no matter how chaotic it gets, we can always trust that God is in control. And that's something that we can say in church, but sometimes it's hard to live it and apply it to our lives when we see the chaos and the crazy and all that stuff. But last week we kind of looked at the providence of God. And so if you missed that, there is a recording on the website for that. So if you want to go back and listen to that, um, but doing that little study kind of got me thinking more about just the attributes of God, the nature of God and who our God is. And so what we're going to do is, um, I came across a resource. I thought this was a really good way. They kind of broke it down, uh, looking at the 15 attributes of God, 15 different attributes of God. And so I do have a handout for you guys. It's a really simple one, not much fill in the blank, but at least something to kind of have you some notes. So we'll go ahead and pass these out. There's a couple there, I think. Should be two more, maybe. Oh, okay. I don't know if they were sharing. You guys are sharers. Okay. Some couples are like, I ain't sharing. There you go, bud. You're welcome. Uh, there you go, sir. There you go, man. All right. So, again, we probably won't obviously get through all 15. Um, and the way this resource, when I came across this, I've kind of added some of my own stuff, added some stuff down. But one of the things I liked is that <clears throat> in this resource, it lays out, the attribute, and then there's some quotes that are giving of different individuals. A.W. Tozer, Tozer would be one. Um, Adrian Rogers is quoted. Um, I forget, John MacArthur is quoted somewhere. Um, and I found that really cool to kind of read these quotes of these different Christian leaders, authors, kind of our, our theologians of our day or of the last generation. And so really wanted to give you some of their knowledge as well. And so we're really just going to kind of talk through each one. We're going to use it as a way to, and as I kind of say this in the opening there, we're going to look at the amazing attributes of our God and give you a condensed list of 15 key attributes of our God. My prayer, as I was preparing this, obviously with the same thing with the Providence study, is that with each one of these, you will be drawn to worship deeper and trust fuller. So that's our goal over the next coming weeks, to worship fuller or deeper and to trust fuller and deeper in our God, to know him more. To say that it is important for us to try to understand what God is like is a huge understatement. Failure to do so can cause us to set up 
chase after and worship false gods contrary to his will. So the more we understand who our God is, again, we're never going to understand him to the fullest. Right? John says, even with the ministry of Christ, if, if we could have written down everything he ever did, there's not enough paper, there's not enough ink. Right? It's just we could never fully communicate that. But we have to pause and be thankful because we are given an amazing resource. The word of God was given to us for a couple key purposes. So a little bit of an open question here. If you had to kind of condense down, what would be a summary statement about one of the reasons or one of the key reasons that God gave us the word of God, the Bible? What is the key reason for you when you think about why did God give us the Bible? Cat. Know how to live? Okay. Yep. Some people have even said, you know, well, this is like the roadmap for life. Okay. Now we know that's, a, that's kind of a, a statement we make, but we know and you guys can answer this in a, in a sense, true or false, there's things that you experience in life that are not directly, specifically spelled out in the Bible. That's true, right? The Bible doesn't say anything about whether or not you should have a 401k. It's not in there. But there are principles and there are patterns of things in Scripture that can lead us to make wise decisions that when we see something like that or any other number of things that aren't specifically spelled out in the Bible, that is in our culture but not in this culture, we have enough principles and patterns from God's word to make wise decisions about how to do that, whether or not we do A or B, even though it's not specifically spelled out in scripture. Some things are, some things aren't, but it's given us tools to live by, okay? What else? Why else is a key reason that God gave us his word? Okay. 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 Yep. Absolutely. So he, he reveals himself through his word, which I don't know if you ever stopped and paused about this. And I've, I've said this before, but to me, the fact that God created us and then chose to reveal himself to us was not a given, right? God did not have to show himself to us. He could have created us, set us on this planet, given us everything we needed and said, See you later. It's all you. Go ahead. Live. Do whatever. I'm, I'm hands off. Okay? He didn't have to reveal himself, but he chose to reveal himself, to, to make it possible for us to know him. But not only to know him, but as Julie said, that he loves us, so he makes his love known. Then he makes the fact known that there's a choice he's giving us, and the choice is, are you going to pay for your own sin, or are you going to trust in the risen Savior to pay for your sin? And that choice makes it not only where we can know of him and he knows of us, but we have a relationship. We actually know him and are known of him, which is a powerful reality in salvation. And that's really, if I had to summarize why God gave us his word, it is true that there's tools and resources for this life. But the reason God gave us his word is so that we would know him and make him known, right? To know who he is. And to make him known. That's why you don't have to experience a burning bush experience to know that God moved that way. You don't have to have a, a dream like Joseph did to be able to know that God did that. Why? Because it's in his word. And this is why we as a church, we believe that there are ways that God revealed himself in the past that he has chosen to not do in the present 
because he doesn't have to. He already did it. Let me give you another example. The day of Pentecost, powerful day. Some would say, depending on how you view it, the, the beginning of the church. This is the start of the church. The called out assembly unto him. There's never been in church history a second day of Pentecost as recorded in Acts 2. It just hasn't happened. Why? It didn't need to happen again. There only needs to be one founding of the church. So again, when you know that and you understand that, when you're reading scripture, you don't have to go, man, if I only could have lived back then, if I could have seen God or I could have seen Jesus or I could have heard the word, we have it given to us. And it's amazing to me how often I will neglect the word of God in my daily life. And I forget that it's a resource designed living and active, right? The Holy Spirit takes this word, and as you're reading the words, you're understanding what the words mean, the Spirit is taking that very same word and is applying that to your situation, to your heart, to your mind. In a way, it doesn't change the meaning, but it gives us wisdom and application to where I can now say, wow, I I never saw how that could connect to this, but I've read it a hundred times. Because the Spirit of God is working and moving. And now all of a sudden I have a knowledge and a wisdom in that. And it's making God known unto me. It's revealing something about God to me or about my relationship with him so that I can make him known. It's an amazing resource. And I don't know about you. I can only speak for me. But I think the majority of Christians neglect daily, consistent time in God's word. And I really do think one of the reasons is because we know that once we receive Christ as our Savior, I don't have to read this book every day to keep my salvation. And there's a lot of Christians that go, well, I mean, I should read it. I don't really read it like I should, but it's okay because I'm still saved by grace. And praise God, you are saved by grace and not by how many verses you read a day. Because if it was based on that, none of us would get in, right? But we got to be careful there that we don't forget that this is not, we don't read the Word of God to keep our salvation. We read the Word of God because we have salvation We have a relationship. I want to know him more. And this is true. We talked about this morning with the Word of Life kids. This is true of any Christian discipline. I mean, let's be honest. Why do we pray? We don't pray to keep our salvation. I don't pray so God doesn't go, nope, you're done. You're gone. You haven't prayed three times today. That's a works religion. I don't pray that God will keep saving me. I pray because I believe God loves me and cares for me. And I want to grow in my faith with him. And there's things I can't handle. I need him to intervene. Why do we memorize scripture? The discipline of memorizing scripture. Why do we do that? Not so we'll keep our salvation. Why do we memorize scripture as believers? What do you think? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Of course. The spirit can do anything that way. Yes. Right. Right. Can the spirit in a moment of struggle and strife, bring the word of God to us that we'd maybe read once 30 years ago and didn't actually memorize. Sure. Of course he can. 
But what does the Bible say? Dave, or the psalmist says it this way. I will hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the Spirit gives us the word of God to help us in a time of struggle or trial or that we can speak the truth. But also, it's so when temptation comes. I don't give in to temptation because I know the Bible says this about that. What did Jesus do in the wilderness in Matthew 4 when he was presented with temptations? He quoted scripture, right? He, he shared scripture. So again, it's to give us the strength we need. It's to help us to avoid temptation. And also the Bible says to study, to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's, an, there's a, a call to study, a call to put in the effort. So again, yes, the spirit can do anything as far as the spirit can give us a verse in a moment of need. But the Bible says we're supposed to be growing in that and studying that so that we have the tools we need. Because again, it's so funny how even in discipleship, when we are helping someone else grow in Christ and helping them to learn God's word and to pray and all these things, it's amazing how the best way to do that is to live it yourself, to do it yourself. And through that, God will use you to disciple someone else. But so many people that I've talked to says, well, I can't disciple anybody because I don't know how to study God's word. I don't know how to memorize scripture. I don't really know how to pray. Well, here's the, the catch that God instilled in this. By you living those things out and dedicating to that through discipleship, God's going to use you to disciple someone else. It's, it's God's kind of setting us up. He's saying, I want you to disciple. Go disciple. Well, I can't disciple if I don't know God's word. Exactly. So study my word. Put it into practice. Now you can do what I've said. And so I want to kind of walk through this. Again, we'll probably just only get a couple in tonight, which is fine. I don't have a set number or anything like that. Um, but I want to kind of look through here. And again, this is all about not just head knowledge, but growing in worship. The more we understand our God, the more we can worship him and praise him. Some of these you're familiar with. Maybe many of these you've heard in some way. But don't buy the bait of Satan to say, I've heard that. I don't need to really think about that one. Let's not just glance over it, but really dive into it. Okay, so the first one, number one, God is infinite. God is infinite. And so that right there, that thought alone should make us kind of be paused for a second to think about what that really means. God is infinite. Are, 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 do we think on infinite? Is that how we think? As human beings, how do we think in this world? Well, we think, temp we think timeline. We think start and end, right? Seasons. That's what the Bible says. We think I got to get up and I got to be at work at this time and I'm done at this time. We don't think infinitely. We actually think finite. We're, we're minor in our thinking. We're limited in our thinking. The way we can understand this is he is self-existing and without origin. He is infinite. He is self-existing. Again, are we self-existing? No. You need someone or something to live, okay? So we don't, again, it's, it's completely separate from us. This is why we have to be so careful. God is not like you. God is not like you. God doesn't think like you. Apart from being made in the image of God, which has nothing to do with your physical feature, God doesn't look like you. And I'm not silly. You're like, well, who would think that? I'm telling you, there's a time where people thought if you didn't look like this, you weren't godly. You never could be. So there's this mindset out there that we have to realize God is not us. Just this last week, and I shared a video with somebody. Just this last week, a, a Christian, I'm going to put that in very big quotations, okay? Someone that claims to be a professing Christian shared all these things, cultural things, 
that God is and took all these human understandings and tried to project them up onto God. Well, God is this because he says he's this or this says this, and then they connect it to a human understanding. We can't do that. We can't take our understanding and project it onto God. What do we have to do? We have to let God's word tell us who God is. This book leads our thinking of God. I can think nothing about God or of God without God first telling me what to think about him. What does Romans ten seventeen say? For by faith, or faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So I can't think anything of God that God didn't reveal to me. That's a crazy thought. And again, if we really believe that, our Bible study and our, our time in God's word will really grow. A couple of verses to look at here. And again, I think they're right in the notes there for you too. Colossians 1.17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Psalm 147.5. Great is our Lord and uh, abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. You cannot understand, you can't even measure his knowledge and his understanding. It is beyond measure. The fact that God is self-existent, that he was created by nothing and has always existed forever is perhaps one of the hardest attributes of God for the believer to understand. In our limitedness, grasping of the nature of our limitless God is like holding onto water as it rages down a river. I kind of love that illustration the author pointed out here. It's like holding onto water as it rages down a river. Indeed, Tozer, as an A.W. Tozer, writes this about the confusing, head-spinning attribute of God's infinity. Wow, I couldn't get that out. So this is a quote from A.W. Tozer. I'm just going to read these quotes again. It says this, To admit that there is one who lies beyond us, who exists outside of all our categories, who will not be dismissed with a name, who will not appear before the bar of our reason, nor submit to our curious inquiries. This requires a great deal of humility, more than most of us possess. So we save face by thinking God down to our level, or at least down to where we can manage him. That's a pretty crazy thought, that we, when we try to grasp the infinite nature of God, we struggle with that. Sandra, just a couple weeks ago in junior church, she was teaching the kids and she was talking about, I believe it was Isaiah, which talks about the different names of God, you know, wonderful counselor, mighty God, those names. And she was going through it the night before and it got to the name counselor, wonderful counselor. Now, some translations put that together. It's wonderful counselor. Some translations break it up. Wonderful and counselor is two titles. Okay, however you want to look at it, he is in essence both, so we're fine. But she was like, how, how do you think I could explain counselor to first and second graders? Like, how would you try to explain that to somebody really younger? Because they don't know the word counselor. You know, that's not a familiar word for them. So we were talking for a while about different ways you can explain it. What does it mean? How can you kind of... She gets to class. Now, she's thinking, this is the question. They're going to ask me about these names or this specific name. And she starts talking, and one of the kids raises their hand and literally says, what was before God? And she looked at the child, and she said, what do you mean? She's like, He's like, well, what was before God? Like, there was God, and there is God, but what was before God? How, how did God come to be? 
And she literally chuckled and she told Lynn, she said, Lynn Wilcox, who helps in the class, she jokingly said, she's like, no, no, you can't ask me that question. That's not the question you're supposed to ask me. You're supposed to ask me a different question about the names of God. You can't ask me this question. But for that child, it was this exact thing. Wait, 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 wait. So God has always been. There's never been anything before God because God has always existed. And this is one of the biggest questions and struggles for so many of us because our minds, we don't think that way. We all have a beginning. We came into existence at some point. Now we know we're going to live for eternity in heaven or hell. We're going to make a choice in this life which will determine we'll be with him or we will be separated from him. But we have a very hard time of even understanding eternity. I mean, have you ever stopped and thought about eternity? Like, like, like forever. You're going to be with God forever and ever and ever. You could be with God in his presence for a millennia and you've just scratched the surface of eternity. You could be with God for a million years and it's as though if you're digging a hole on the sand, you literally just took a little handful and you, it, it's not even like it's been moved. You're going to be with God forever, and he's always been. God's never not been. He's always been. And I like what Tozer says here. Because we struggle with that, so many, rather than just be in awe of that, we try to bring him down to our level. Maybe not to fully understand him, but to manage him. To put him in a box. To make it where we're the controllers. We tell God what to do. Now again, what is the confines or the parameters of God's, what do you want to say? God's revealed knowledge he's given to us. It's his word. So we can say, okay, God's word says this. This is what God says he is and what he will do. Beyond God's word, I can't put any parameters on God. I can't say God will or won't do this unless his word says he will or won't do that. Because I don't understand all that God is. And let's go back to providence for a second. This is why providence is a great praise. Because God doesn't see time as we see it. God sees it all at once. And so that's how he can be working a prayer request you haven't even prayed yet, answering that prayer request that you're going to pray two years from now when he's starting on it right now. By working on someone's heart, by working in a situation, by opening a door of opportunity. And it's amazing how he does this because he is infinite. Uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers, obviously very well-known pastor and author and speaker who's gone on to be with the Lord He writes this about the self-existence of God. The name Jehovah is used some 6,800 times in the Bible. It is the personal covenant name of Israel's God. In the King James Version of the Bible, it's translated Lord God. Not only does it speak of God's strength, but also it speaks of the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God. The root of this name means self-existing one who never came into being, and one who always will be. When Moses asked God, who shall I tell Pharaoh has sent me? God said, I am that I am. Jehovah or Yahweh is the most intensely sacred name to Jewish scribes, and many uh, will not even pronounce the name. When possible, they use another name. They honor the name of God, the self-existing one. They are in awe of him. And I, I struggle sometimes in my own life, in prayer life, and in working with others and talking to others, when we experience temporary problems in this life, 
when we see temporary things going on in our world and we actually pray as though somehow God is limited, that somehow God can't handle this, that God doesn't have an answer. He is limit, limitless. There's no end to his power. Ephesians says it this way. There is nothing impossible with him, right? He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. He can do greater things than you can even imagine, the Bible says. So I want to pause here for a second. I just want you to think about this for a moment. You don't need to answer out loud, but I want you to think about this. Me breaking apart this attribute, and this is going to be familiar to you. You're probably going to get annoyed with me asking this question. But I want you to think about this. And again, you don't need to answer out loud. How does this attribute of God speak to you? So I really want you, honestly, this is what we're going to do over the next, however long it takes to go through this material. Every time we get done with talking about an attribute, we're just going to pause. And I'm going to ask you this question. How does this specific attribute of God speak to you? How does it encourage you? How does it help you in seeing God as who he is? What do you, what do you struggle with, with this attribute? Is there something about this that you're just like, man, I just can't get my mind wrapped around that. And what does it drive you to think about your God? And so how does this specific attribute that God is infinite, he is self-existing, speak to you? Second one we want to look at tonight. Second of the, we're going to, again, we're going to look at 15 different attributes. And so number two, God is immutable, immutable. I-M-M-U-T-A-B-L-E, immutable. Now, this might sound familiar to some of you. And obviously, it says right there what the kind of the definition of this is. He never changes. You maybe have heard the word of God. It's said to be immutable, that it is an immutable word of God. It's because the word never changes. Translations change. Language changes but the word never changes. And in fact, the word is settled in heaven forever. Uh, and so again, no matter what translation you might be looking at, the word itself, the true word of God, never changes. Uh, Malachi 3.6. The Bible says this, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. I think we just need to pause there for a second. Because he's speaking to Israel, but who else could he be speaking to today? His church, right? It says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. God does not change. Who he, who he is never changes. His attributes are the same from before the beginning of time into eternity. His character never changes. He never gets better or worse. God never gets better, and God never gets worse. His plans do not change. His promises do not change. So think about this for a moment. He never changes. This is hard for us to understand because guess what we are as human beings? We're fickle. We let our emotions lead us. We let our feelings lead us. It might be momentary. It might be for a day or two. But we change all the time. Now, how should we be changing? In what direction should we be going, better or worse? We should be growing, getting better, right? But I can tell you from experience, being in ministry for just a few years, just because someone is older doesn't mean they've grown in wisdom. Just throwing that out there. I'm not going to name names. I'm not even going to look at anybody because I'm not, it's not even anybody in this room. I'm just saying. But we should be growing. That's, 
when a child is born, you expect certain things of a one-year-old. When a child is 20, you expect different things, okay? Abby's graduating, going off to college. I think her parents have higher expectations than when she was one, right? I mean, she's eating her food now, right? She's driving herself places, right? She, she can pick out her clothes and get dressed, right? She's potty trained, yes, okay? I was going to skip that one, but that's fine. We'll go there, okay? But you don't expect a one- or two-year-old child to get a job, to go get, you know, a job and get a car and drive. And, and even when I say that, you think that's the most ridiculous thing because you picture a baby driving a car. It just doesn't work. Because they're growing and they're getting stronger in wisdom. You realize that God never changes. That the wisdom God has now, he's always had. The love he's had now, he's always had. <clears throat> this is huge too because even some in Christian circles have a wrong view of the God of the Old Testament and Jesus. And it's affected their very theology where they actually think that the God of the Old Testament was such an angry, vicious, vengeful, vindictive God that Jesus needed to come and rescue us from that angry God of the Old Testament. Now, do you hear the hint of truth there? We are rescued in Christ from the wrath of God. But Jesus and God of the Old Testament, God the Father, and by the way, Jesus was back there too, and so was the Holy Spirit. They weren't working against each other. It wasn't like God was being this angry God and Jesus is like, I can't wait till I get my turn. Because I'm going to get my turn when we get to the new covenant and I'm going to show them what love is. And I'm going I'm to show them that, that the Godhead isn't what the Father is. You don't read that. But there are even Christian leaders and pastors, and I mentioned it a few weeks ago, Andy Stanley, one of the most well-known pastors in our country, literally said, you don't need the Old Testament. Just get rid of it. We don't even need it. It's a crazy way to think about the Word of God. But again, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are immutable. This is not just saying God the Father doesn't change, and Jesus doesn't change, and the Spirit doesn't change. They've always been one, and they will always continue to be one. Three persons, one being. They're all God, and yet individuals. And they've always been in agreement. You realize that among the Godhead, there's never been one disagreement? There's never been one time the Father looked at the Son and said, I don't think you should do it that way. It's never happened. There's always been perfect agreement. Now, people will say, well, what about when Jesus was on earth and he prayed, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. That was not Jesus arguing with the Father. That also wasn't Jesus praying to himself, because again, the Trinity. Jesus was demonstrating in his humanity a dependence upon the Father. And I honestly believe that prayer was more for us than for Jesus. And I think it was Jesus demonstrating to us that there was no other way. This is the only way. And so again, God never changes. One author goes on to say this as far as an incredible source of joy for the believers. An author says this about the good news of God's unchanging nature. Again, it's a long quote, but I love that these are in this study. What this, well, what this, or I'm sorry, what all this means, very simply, is that God is dependable. That, we can just stop right there and go, thank you, Lord, that you're dependable. Because as much as people change, guess what people aren't all the time? 
Now, I don't, I don't know a lot of people that pur- purposely say, I'm going to be completely unreliable. I know tons of people that want to be dependable, want to be trustworthy. They work at it and they try and they do all they can. But guess what? They're not perfect. I remember I got in trouble one time. Shocking, I know. But I got in trouble one time for something I said. And I was speaking at the Emily City High School Baccalaureate. Uh, This is 2007-ish. And we had a lot of students that were uh, graduating that year. And some of them were on the little leadership team to pick, you know, the music and all this stuff. And so they they said, hey, can our youth pastors speak at this? And so I met with a couple of people and they said, sure. It was a really cool opportunity. But I was speaking about the life of Joseph. And I was talking about the fact that God was really the only thing that was stable in his life. That God kept him when everything else fell away. And specifically the dream that God gave him is what he kind of held on to. Not because it was a dream. We use that word today and we think dream about sports cars and money. The dream was important to Joseph because it was connection to God and a relationship to the Father. Right? Because they didn't have, he didn't have the word of God to open and read. He had this revelation from God that he needed to depend on. And I said, God is going to get you through whatever you go through in life. And a relationship with Christ will strengthen you through those things. I said, your friends will fail you. Your teachers will fail you. Your career, those that you work with, your finances, it'll fail you. I, and I went as far to say, your parents will fail you. They love you, they care for you, they want the best for you, but they're not perfect. And there could come a point where your mom or dad fails you. Maybe not in the world's eyes, but maybe in God's eyes. Well, a parent leads you in the wrong direction. Or guess what? Mom and dad is not always going to be a call away, even if they want to be. Now, this is true. This is true to life. This is true to God's word. And I got ripped after this was over. I had a woman approach me. We were talking to people, and she literally came and said, I can't believe you would tell my son or my daughter, whoever it was, that I'm going to let them down, and I'm going to fail them. I, she actually said, I will never fail my children. Now, I was young. I wasn't as smart as I am now, and which isn't saying a whole lot, but I've grown a little. And I may have come back with some very sarcastic, very snarky comments, and I shouldn't have. But I basically said, I pretty much said, I was like, well, I'm sorry to say this, but you're lying to me right now. That didn't help the situation. But, but she said, no, you don't know. I will never. I said, are you literally telling me you will be with your child 100% of the time at college? Well, no, I won't be there. So what if they need you in the middle of the night and you're 30 hours away? Are you there for them? Well, no. Then you're not always there for them, are you? Well, I'm a phone call away. Cell phone's dead. The point is, God through Christ is the only one that is dependable 100% of the time. Now, I'm a, I'm a dad now. I want to be there for my boys. I will do everything I can to be there for them. But I'll tell you as a father, I'm not always going to be dependable for them. And by the way, they're only, what, 14 and 11, and I've let them down. Shocker. I've not been the perfect dad, believe it or not, okay? But God never changes. He is dependable all the time. He will never fail. goes on to say this in this quote. Our trust in him is therefore a confident trust. For we know that he will not, indeed cannot, change. His purposes are unfailing, his promises unassailable, 
It is because the God who promised us eternal life is immutable that we may rest assured that nothing, not trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword shall separate us from the love of Christ. It is because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever that neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, not even powers, height, depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And a reference there, obviously you heard it, Romans 8, 35 through 39. God never fails. He never changes. If he promised us eternal life in the word of God, it's still true today. If he said through the gospels, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. But if you don't believe on the name of the Son of God, you're condemned already. That doesn't change because culture says it's not popular. Because Christians say they don't like that people will actually perish and suffer in a place called hell. We don't like that. That's not popular. We can't say that anymore. If God doesn't change and his word doesn't change, then the gospel doesn't change. And, and methods change. Music changes. Style of church changes. Right? All of this stuff can change, but the gospel never changes. The word never changes. God never changes. And again, we take great confidence in that. So, time to pause. Time to reflect on this. How does this attribute speak to you? Again, you don't need to answer out loud, but how does this encourage you? How does this strengthen you? How does this challenge you to think differently? How does this lead you to pray differently? I mean, imagine praying to a God that never changes, that never fails, whose promises are always true and always kept. Last one, we'll do number three here, and then maybe we'll wrap it up. Number three, God is self-sufficient, self-sufficient. He has no needs. He has no needs. John chapter 5 and verse 26 for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in, him, in himself. That first part is so key. For as the Father has life in himself. As limited humans, we have incredible needs, which left unfulfilled result in death. God, however, has never once been in need of anything. He's never needed anything. By the way, he doesn't need you. That, that's a key right there. It's not as though if I turn my back on God, he's losing something he needs. Now, his heart breaks because he wants me. He wants you. What's the heart of the gospel? John chapter 14, 1 through 6. That where I am, there you may be also. He wants us with him, but he doesn't need me. He doesn't need anything. He goes on to say this. As Tim Temple writes, God is perfectly complete within his own being. God is perfectly complete within his own being. Because God is self-sufficient, we can go to him to satisfy all our needs. We never have to worry about drying up his never-ending well of goodness, peace, mercy, and grace. Ephesians 3 and verse 20, I referenced it already. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than, we, than all we ask or th imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. He never needs anything. We need things constantly. We need rest. We need food. We need water. Right? Now there's things we think we need that we don't really need. Okay? I don't need a 
55-inch TV hanging above my fireplace, okay? And I don't need a 70-inch TV that I've tried to convince Sandra that we need to get. We don't need that, okay? Because, well, considering when I was growing up, I had like a 19-inch maybe in my room or 12-inch or whatever it was, and it wasn't a flat screen. It was black and white with the knobs, two knobs, right, four channels. It was great, okay? I told my sons that. I said, when I was in like junior high, I had to watch a black and white TV up on my dresser, and it was literally this big. And they looked at me like it was the Stone Ages. They were like, what? what? Yeah, you don't even know, okay? You don't even know. But it was great. It was good. I had a TV in my room. So, again, that's one step up from my parents, right? But I didn't need those things. I don't need some of the things that our culture says we need. But we do need things. One of the things I think we desperately need that we ignore a lot in our lives are relationships. And we need one another. We need the church. We need those that can come alongside us and help us and pray for us and challenge us and encourage us. We need food. We need water. God never needs anything. Do you realize God didn't create you because he needed someone else to talk to? God didn't create you because he needed to have a relationship with someone else. I've heard that before. Well, God created me to have a relationship with me. That's right. He did, but he didn't do it because he needed another relationship. I mean, think about it. What did I already say? God was completely satisfied and fulfilled in the Trinity. Imagine this for a moment. You have two choices to spend eternity. You can spend eternity with two other people that you completely agree with, you get along with, never disagree, never argue, always in this great community, always good, never an issue, or you create a race of human beings that will instantly ignore your word, instantly sin, instantly rebel, disregard you, curse you, and actually murder your son when you try to send him to the planet to help. Who would you pick to spend eternity with? I think all of us would say, we will take the two that we always agree with. God didn't create us because he needed us. He created us because he wants to love us, have a relationship with us that we can glorify and worship him. We can honor him and praise him in a relationship, not by force, but by choice. And so again, don't don't forget this. Don't get this kind of confused. God doesn't need you. He wants you. He wants you. And so what an amazing reality that he didn't create us out of need. He created us out of want. Because he wants you. So again, last time tonight I'll ask this question. How does this attribute, that God is self-sufficient, having no needs, how does this speak to you? How about the reality that because he has everything he ever needs, completely satisfied, that he knows how to satisfy you? That when you pray, he knows what you need before you even need it or know you need it. And he can satisfy you and fill you. As I said this morning, joy doesn't come from the stuff. Or the people in our lives. They're they're there and we need them. But that's not where the heart of joy comes from. Joy comes from relationship with Jesus Christ. He says this in John 10.10. Abide in me. Right? As my words abide in you. And what's the result of that abiding? That your joy might be full. Now we'll produce fruit. And more fruit. And much more fruit for his glory. But as a result of that word abiding in us. We're going to have joy. Deep-seated joy. That the enemy can't take away, that the world can't take away, that a bad day can't take away. We can not be happy in a moment, but we have joy because it's in Christ, not in the stuff. And so again, because he is self-sufficient, he knows how to satisfy our deepest needs. And so we're going to pause here. So I'm going to encourage you guys to take your notes, hold on to them. Uh, Next Sunday night, we are not having evening service because that's Mother's Day. So we always take that night off. The 15th, which I believe is the next Sunday, we're back at it. 
And so I encourage you guys to come on out, be here for that as we continue through the study. Uh, we're three into the list of 15. And so uh, there's, and there's not, this is not an exhaustive list. There's other attributes of God that may or may not be on this list um, that we'll kind of try to talk to in that point. Again, this was just a resource that I found. I liked the way they kind of put it together. And so we'll unpack it even more in a couple of weeks. All right. Let's go ahead and pray. And we'll let you guys be dismissed. Father, we thank you for this time tonight. Lord, where we can just honestly be in awe of you. Lord, in in so many places and even in so many churches, um, the teaching and the preaching is filled up with not time to reflect and glorify you, but time to talk about how amazing we are, how awesome we are, how much... Uh, we want to have this or that in, the, in this life. We'll even take your word and claim that you're bound somehow to give these things to us. And Lord, we know that you do say that you will bless your children, and we're so thankful for that. We know that you take delight in blessing those who take the, their delight in you, those who fear the Lord, those who are followers of Christ. But Lord, I pray the, I pray the majority of our time both in church and in our own personal devotional lives, the majority of the time would not be talking about us, focusing on us, but the majority of our time would be focused on you. Your majesty, your power, your attributes. Because, Lord, as much as you created us for relationship, you also created us to worship you, to show your worth and value And so, Lord, I pray that as only you can, that you give us wisdom in all these things. Help us to know you more. (laughs) Help us to know, Lord, that this life is not about us. It's about you. And so whether that comes through blessings and seasons of fruitfulness or seasons of dryness and no fruit seemingly coming about, Lord, we praise you. We honor you. And we worship you alone above all things because the name of Jesus Christ is the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Go with us into this week. Help us to make disciples for you to share your word with someone this week at work, at school, in our area of influence, that somebody else would come to know Christ and that they too can experience the beauty of eternal life. Thank you, Father, for all of this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, God bless you guys. We'll see you Wednesday night. So Wednesday night at seven o'clock, we are having our adult class and our student group, our teen group, no children's ministry, no children's ministry, but adult group is meeting and the teens are meeting. So we'll see you Wednesday night at seven o'clock. Have a great week.